The county needs to make sure that the infrastructure remains in our control, that we own it, so that if the county chooses to um, remove our current network operator, as an example, and implement a different one, we can do that without breaking the network. Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Last fall, voters in Rio Blanco County were one of several Colorado communities that chose to reclaim local communications authority. At the time, we thought it was the beginning of local efforts to improve connectivity. As it turns out, people in Rio Blanco County started taking steps to deploy fiber infrastructure 15 years ago. They're now in the midst of a project that will improve economic development, encourage competition, and bring broadband to this rural area of Colorado. Mike Mobley, Rio Blanco County IT Director, talks with Chris this week. He provides the story behind their current project, provides details on how the network will be managed, and tells us why the county chose this type of open access model. There's more information about their project at their website, rbi.us forward slash WCITC. Now here are Chris and Blake. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Blake Mobley, the Rio Blanco County IT Director in the state of Colorado. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, we met at the uh, rural, um, well, I think of it as being rural, but it's actually the, the now all kinds of broadband conference in Colorado, Mountain Connect, where you give a presentation about what uh, the county's doing, and I think it's really interesting. So I'm excited to, to jump right in, but I want to ask you first, for people who aren't familiar with Rio Blanco County, can you just briefly tell us, is this a very metropolitan, busy kind of place? Rio Blanco County has about uh, um, 6,200 people across about 3,000 square miles. So we've got basically two people per square mile. Very rural, one of the largest counties in Colorado in the northwest corner. All right. So you're you're facing a, a different kind of problem than in the the Denver metro region. Um, the, um, the the I think ordinarily I sort of start from the beginning with these interviews, but as I was just mentioning to you beforehand, I think it makes sense to just give people an overview of what you're moving toward. So can you give us a thumbnail sketch of what you're about to kick off? Yeah, our projects. Um, you know, we we use the term broadband very broadly, no pun intended. Um, it's broadband, which is high-speed internet across the entire county. So that's the two small municipalities as well as the very large number of um, rural square miles. But but the broad definition of our project is it's not just broadband, high-speed internet. It's also emergency services, so radios for police and sheriff and um, school buses and ambulance. Um, it's preparing space on our, our rural, our tower assets for um, future emergency services like FirstNet. And then it's also providing space in our towers for cellular to enhance our cellular coverage. So when we say our broadband project in Rio Blanco County, we mean broadband, emergency services, and cellular. And we mean the two small communities as well as the many, many miles of rural. And you're looking at an open access solution, ultimately, and we're going to be talking about this a lot more later, um, but so people sort of have a sense of where we're going. Uh, you're actually looking at fiber to the curb and, and ultimately having other providers extend fiber all the way to the home in, the, in your two municipalities with uh, open access wireless services available to a majority of people in the rural areas as well. Is that right? 
Yes, that's correct. Yeah, the county is looking at this uh, purely as an infrastructure build-out, our, our role in the open access public-private partnership. So being that public entity, we our, our role is to fund the build-out of the fiber infrastructure in the two communities to the block. And then through our partnership, our partners will continue that build-out to the premises. Um, and in the rural area, similarly, the county is going to build the um, tower and wireless infrastructure to build out that that uh, network of towers across our county. Um, however, our private partner will will do the last mile um, wireless service down to the Homer business. So it's it's a similar open access public-private partnership in both the community fiber arena as well as the rural wireless arena. Excellent. So let's go back in time now and let's figure out how you got here. And and as I understand it, it started uh, on the order of 15 years ago uh, with where so many of these projects start, um, schools and community anchor institutions. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, I was the IT director for our local school district in, in one end of the county, um, Meeker, for about 20 years. And back in 99, the school district um, leveraged a fiber optic network between their school buildings. Um, and in 2001, so just a, a year and a half um, later, the um, community anchor institutions in Meeker approached the school district, uh, specifically the town, the county, the hospital, and the public library, and asked if, um, since we'd implemented some dark fiber, if we could um, leverage some of those to help connect up some of their um, facilities and the school board approved of that measure. So since 2001, we've ran a small community anchor institution fiber um, plant, um, just, just the, the in, incumbent CAIs, community anchor institutions, um, connecting up some of those facilities. And so we you know, met regularly every, every month or two. Um, we did our own fiber termination, our own splicing. It was a very homegrown project. But that resulted in some huge benefits to our current county project. Um, it, it leveraged um, those those entities and those groups having conversations around this topic for the last decade and a half. It leveraged our knowledge set so that we at least have fundamental knowledge of um, fiber optics and, and you know the, the different um, styles and methodologies and approaches. And so when I was hired um, for the county um, a little over a year ago, I brought that um, background and those conversations and those um, those stakeholder um, committee meetings um, with me to this project. I find it kind of striking that in a number of cases where we're talking with communities, local governments that are thinking about doing this sort of thing, they'll often say, you know, this just seems like a very complicated area. It's, it's, it's moving quickly. Um, you know, you're in a, in a small, rather remote area. How did you have the confidence to just say, we're going to do the fiber splicing in-house. We're going to learn how to do all this stuff. And was it very difficult along the way? Like, you know, you, you got pretty far up the learning curve, it seems like at this point. We had gone and looked at um, another um, community in Colorado, Montrose, and they had done a similar project and utilized a company out of Mexico to um, supply them both the fiber, real basic but but functional training on splicing and termination, um, and then come in and, and implement that design with the cooperation of their um, rural electric association. We we followed that same model here. So we had the same company supply our fiber. We had our local rural electric come um, hang the fiber on their poles for us. And we got that same training. And then uh, literally, um, we trained up, um, like I, as the school district IT director, trained um, high school students. Um, we got our local techs from the hospital in town and got a school bus out underneath telephone poles and started doing our own splicing and terminations. Um, and it, it, it 
works surprisingly well. Um, like you said, it seems very technical and challenging, and I would not recommend that solution and that model for a, a more high-end um, network where you're going to have public um, uh, and private entities, um, especially the private, um, reliant upon the quality. But for a, for a core, small community anchor institution group in a rural town, it worked well. Well, that's fascinating, um, and I appreciate you going into that level of detail. Um, so one of the other things that came out of this, though, was you said the group of people. And one of the details you mentioned at Mountain Connect was that um, that it would have been harder for you to get this project rolling, this more recent project of doing the fiber and the wireless towers and all of that, the one that's coming online very soon, uh, if you did not have that group of people meeting. Um, why was it so important to have these people having relationships that were already from the community anchor institutions and all of that? When you're looking at a project like this, the countywide project, um, or any project that's countywide, whether it's, it's fiber and, and IT and broadband or not, getting all of your stakeholders, all of your, your key people and key entities together on the same page, having a regular conversation, and that, that buy-in, and it's, that's the important part, getting that buy-in with your, your greater community um, on the project is critical and key. And having you know a decade and a half of conversation around this point where we are really familiar with each other, we'd worked side by side on the previous um, you know um, kind of initial seed of the project. Um, we had those relationships and those conversations formed. So it was much, much easier for Rio Blanco to ramp up rapidly with this countywide project than it would have been otherwise. Uh, otherwise, I would have had to have spent you know multiple months having conversations with groups and trying to get their buy-in on the approach and the style and the scope of our project. And is there some level of, of trust that needs to be established as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in, in many ways. Um, one, the county has to have the trust from the commissioners to the IT department of the community that we're utilizing a fairly significant amount of their tax dollars responsibly. The community anchor institutions from the IT uh, folks up to the administrators need confidence that the county's you know, IT department and their leadership is moving towards the right solution um, and the right approach. There are many of each. And so there's, there's a lot of trust. So let's let's talk about how you're financing this. Um, this is uh, one of those projects where I think a lot of times people have this impression that uh, in rural areas, in particular, fiber to the home and, and these, these wireless to go across such a vast area would be um, just uh, too expensive. Um, so uh, how much is this going to cost and, and how are you going to be able to pay for it? Well, we have three stages of our project laid out across three years as a, as a project plan. Um, and stage one is by far the, the most um, expensive and largest phase to implement. Stage one's current estimate is about $13 million. Um, we are going to, we have already leveraged our, our Department of Local Affairs in Colorado, DOLA, Energy Impact um, Funds, and DOLA set aside $20 million in a pot of money specifically for broadband infrastructure in Colorado for um, certain counties that qualify. We were awarded a $2 million um, matching grant through DOLA for the fiber to the block part of our project. We have a request out to DOLA right now for another $1.6 million match for our tower and wireless. Um, the rest of the money, we, we have some um, local community anchor institutions and other partners that are going to be um, helping us with elements of the project. Um, and then the, the, the bulk of the money, however, is going to be coming from internal county funds. 
and that took a lot of a uh, lot of discussion and a lot of um, devotion on our commissioners and our budget office to come up with um, the financing scenario that would allow us to do that. Um, and then lastly, in our in our version of uh, the open access public-private partnership, our network operator is going to, uh, it, it's complex, but they're going to indirectly carry um, the expense of the drop runs at first with county obligation to fund those if, if our partnership should break up. But that'll be basically about $1.5 million that the network operator is going to um, front on the project. You know, in, in a lot of places in the country right now, it's assumed that that particularly people who vote Republican are really opposed to using taxpayer dollars for well, sometimes for anything, but in many cases for broadband infrastructure. And so, I'm I guess I'm curious if it's at all controversial or or how a decision was made um, to use that source of funding. You know, that's a great question, Chris. Particularly yeah, our, our county, being a, a rural county and being a very very Republican county. We've met virtually no resistance, but I think the reason is because this was a, a grassroots initiative. The community came to the commissioners and said, hey, we need um, faster internet. We need broadband. And then the commissioners went to look for someone to be the project lead, and I was hired um, because of my community tie-ins and my past success with that um, school district and then CAI network. And so it was already community-driven, so we didn't have to... Um, work that um, problem in reverse where the county had to go out and convince the community. And in Colorado, we have another um, roadblock to projects like this, and that is uh, Senate Bill 05152, which simply put says that um, unless you're a, a, a large telco provider, um, you're not allowed as a, as a for example, a um, county or municipality to supply internet service. You can't provide that without doing an override vote. So last November, we went to an override vote, um, and it passed. Um, out of the voters that voted, 82% of them voted to override that. So there was another statement by the community that they're very behind the project. So back to your question, though, um, from a different angle. Um, Part of the reason that, that I think that the um, Republican element, the conservative element, um, isn't concerned about our approach is because of the open access public-private partnership and our four-tiered approach. The county is going to be the network owner. So our entire goal, just like building county roads, is to build out the infrastructure. And then the county effectively is done at that point. We're not trying to operate the network. We're not trying to... Um, leveraged service across that that's not our role. That's the role of our network operator, which is a private entity um, hired through an RFP process so everybody could compete fairly across that that network and that process. And so I think I think it's a combination of those things that um, kept us from having issues with um, Republican um, element in our county. And uh, another um, aspect to this for all rural communities everywhere in the U.S. is that the, the big roadblock to modern broadband in a rural area and in, in larger municipalities as well, but particularly rural, is that um, large initial cost of modern infrastructure build-out. It's, it's beyond what the incumbent companies, the, the big cable companies and big telcos, are willing to invest in a small rural place because our, our market share is so small, their return on investment is very poor. So unless someone stepped up to that plate and, and implement that initial infrastructure, it, it wouldn't happen in the near future. It might, it'd be decades instead of years. And again, it's those, those types of um, decisions and elements that um, prompted our county to, 
implement the broadband infrastructure. Well, I think that leads us right into the particular approach you're using with open access, which is, I think, somewhat unique in the United States in that in many places that have an open access approach, uh, you would be, you you know, Blake, the, the IT director, would be in charge of recruiting businesses to offer services, and you'd be doing some of the, the headache kind of work to make sure everything was working right. But you have a network operator, which is another level that is then going to be recruiting people. Why don't you tell us how this all fits together? There's two parts to the approach we're taking, um, the open access and then the public-private partnership. The open access is a concept that um, you, you have a network or you have infrastructure and you open that up to others to utilize or compete across. Um, and the particular way you do that is subversions of open access. And our approach will be through um, RFP process as far as um, acquiring the network operator, and then the network operator will utilize a process to um, go and secure the other um, partners in the in the public-private partnership to provide services across that network. To put this into context, um, I need to talk about the uh, PPP, the public-private partnership. We're doing a four-tiered approach, and the four tiers, the four primary roles, which is what I mean by tiers, are a network owner, someone to own the network, build it and own it, network operator, someone to make the network um, available to others. And then there's the, the service provider, and the service provider is the large middle mile supplier of service, rather than that um, traditional broadband, VoIP, IPTV. So in a rural county like ours, the service providers will be companies that exist beyond our county that have the services we want to deliver, you know, our network operator wants to deliver across this network. And then lastly, because our network operator only leverages the network, only utilizes that network as a wholesale um, solution to others. The network operator will also go out and um, our, our last tier and acquire um, value-added resellers, VARs. And so that's the, the, the four um, partners, uh, four tiers of partnership that we have in our model. And if I understand it correctly, then um, even though the first phase that you described, the, the most challenging and expensive phase is fiber to the block, the county will ultimately own the fiber all the way to the premise as well, because then you can make sure that, that no one operator would be able to, or, or no one service provider or anything would be able to um, monopolize that customer because they own the fiber. Am, am I remembering that correctly? You are, and then that's critical um, for the reasons you just stated. Um, the county needs to make sure that the infrastructure remains in our control, that we own it. Um, and that, that involves the, um, the data center in each of the two communities, the fiber that goes out to the block, and even though the network operator will implement the drop-run fiber that goes from the block to the home or the business, and the device in the home or business um, called an ONT, the county needs to own that entire system from the data center clear to the ONT so that if the county chooses to um, remove our current network operator, as an example, and implement a different one, we can do that without um, breaking the network, without concerns that our network operator is going to take the drop runs or the end user um, electronics, the ONTs, with them. Also, so that that network operator can leverage a good business model. When they go to the, the value-added resellers, the VARs, the in-customer um, suppliers, um, they have to be able to hand them over a network that's going to run seamlessly across one strand of fiber, which means the electronics in the home need to match the electronics in the data center. Otherwise, you end up with VAR A using you know, a certain version of electronics, VAR B wanting a different version, VAR C another, 
and you have uh, a network that's so dysfunctional if, if a different VAR comes in and moves along that you're constantly replacing end-user electronics. That, that doesn't meet our, our goals um, for our model. And let's end up with a simple question that has a probably not-so-simple answer, which is what is success at the end of this project for the county? Well, the county's version of success will be very different than the other partners in our four-tiered public-private partnership. Our version of success is do we successfully build out the infrastructure? Does it exist as a credible alternative then to the current services that exist at the county? So, um, which is an unusual um, end goal. So we are not looking at a take rate as one of the county's goals. We're not looking at a return on investment. We're looking at this as a single purchase to build out modern infrastructure. And then I suppose I should say also, um, in order to make that success, contract with a successful network operator who then goes out and deals with the rest of that. Um, and we've already contracted with a network operator through RFP process, colorado.fiber.community, and we're gearing up to build out the infrastructure. And then that's success. We're, we're done. There's a credible alternative to meet modern broadband and other um, services needs in our county. Now, if you ask the same question to our network operator, they're going to give you a very different answer, of course, because they're a, a, a private partner, a private business that's you know here for, for profitability. So they do have a take rate goal. They do have a return on investment goal. They do have a build up the customer base and you know um, have have adequate services and and create the contracts they need to deliver their business model. But that's one of the that's one of the very unique approaches, uh, unique aspects of our approach is the fact that the county is just the network owner. We're building it out, then we're we're done. Simply put. And when you say that you're not looking for a return on investment, I it might understand that as being uh, you're not looking for a specific monetary return, but but you are expecting, I think, some economic development, some better quality of life, and and those sorts of things, right? Oh, absolutely. So so if you move into policy goals, um, which we have a lot of policy goals, um, policy goals, you know, faster service, lower price. Um, kind of meeting that, that Google standard, gold standard they set in the U.S. of gig to the home, gig to the business for a $70 price point. You know, yeah, we are working hard towards those type of policy goals in this approach. And then those go beyond, uh, you know, creating a world-class destination in our county for tourism, business growth, um, healthy, happy living, ideal place to raise, educate, retain your family. Um, those are actually statements directly out of our broadband vision statement. So we have a lot of goals that are more on a policy or vision approach, um, or else we, we wouldn't have you know, approached such an expensive and large and complex project. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on to explain it. I think that the approach you're taking is a terrific model for a lot of communities, whether they're rural or urban, frankly, in terms of the way you're approaching it. You're ensuring competition and a high level of service for the future. So thank you so much for telling us about it. Sure, Chris, and thank you for having me on your program. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at uninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at CommunityNets. If you're on Facebook, search for Community Broadband Networks. Once again, we want to thank BKFM B-Side for their song, Raise Your Hands, licensed through Creative Commons, and we want to thank you 